Now, just before we start, I have a special announcement. It's a new Kilkenomics X event. That means it's in Dublin, not in Kilkenny. It's on the 13th of October, and it features Michael Lewis, the author of The Big Short, Flash Boys, Moneyball. He's talking to me in St. Patrick's Cathedral about his new book, which is called Going Infinite. And it is the story of Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried, you will know, was the chief executive of FTX, the crypto exchange that went spectacularly bust around this time last year. Now, before this guy was 30, he's become the world's youngest billionaire, making a fortune on crypto. Now, chief executives, celebrities, world leaders, they were all vying for his time. At one point, he considered paying off the entire national debt of the Bahamas so that he could take his business there. And then it all fell apart. And Michael Lewis was there when it happened, having got to know SBF, as he was called, during his epic rise. Now, this new book, Going Infinite, I'm reading it right now, tells the story like no other, taking you through the mind-bending trajectory of a character who never liked the rules and was allowed to play by his own. So if you're interested in economics, finance, crypto, boom busts, legal trials, what happens when companies rise dramatically and then fall to the ground, this is the gig for you. And it's an amazing story. So the gig is Michael Lewis talking to myself, David McWilliams, 13th of October, a Friday night, 8pm, St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. And the tickets are at kilkenomics.com and they come with a book. Do not miss this event. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time and we are, I've got a little gem for you today because you might have, if you're being like John, plugged into international media and news <laughs> and me. all sorts of stuff, you will actually be maybe aware of what is happening in Argentina. The country is getting worse more quickly than I think anybody imagined and it is a salutary lesson, a cautionary lesson of how good countries can go bad. And John, last week, wasn't somebody robbing our best lines? Oh, I, I did take pleasure out of that. Mark Carney, who is the ex-governor of the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England. Oh, he's Bank of Canada as well. Yeah, I know he's yeah. Canadian. Actually, a Jesuit-educated Irish well, Canadian. Of course he was. Okay, just so watch those Jesuits, Irish yeah, yeah. Canadian Jesuits. But go on, what was he saying? <laughs> but he was he was basically lambasting trusts 
because Truss is back on the scene, apparently. I don't right, know she's why. got a book out which is going to be what? called with 10 Years to Save the West. That's the title. Oh my God. 10 years to save, as opposed to 10 hours to bankrupt Britain. <laughs> yes, exactly. But Carney was lambasting her. Yeah. And he's basically saying, to summarise me, he said, she hasn't a clue of even the basics of economics. Well, we said that too. Well, we did. But the other line that he robbed on us is he called Britain Argentina on the channel. Now, I went back on a few of our old podcasts because we've done a few podcasts on Argentina and many on Brexit. But we've said that. That was that was your line. I actually, well, I mean, Mark Carney, you can take it. Checks in the post, please. There's a yeah. copyright in that. No, but I thought, remember I was in Argentina about four years ago. Yeah. You know, the first few podcasts. And it was just Episode after, 35, actually. 35. And it was just after Brexit and just after, more importantly, Boris Johnson got this huge victory. Yes. And I was listening to the Brits going on. And I said to you, John, on the podcast, the direction of travel here is very clear to me. They're going to turn Britain into Argentina. And lots of people guffawed at that idea that, you know, a rich country like Britain could go bad like Argentina. Mm. But it struck me, listening to what they were talking about, that it was sort of Peronism. Was, I, what I called it was Eton Peronism, yes. right? So public school Peronism was the same idea. And Truss, of course, took that idea and amplified it and put it on steroids. And within six weeks, it was actually this time last year, John, this time last year, Britain was looking at bankruptcy. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so we did say, so Mark Carney, you can have it, yeah, we did say that Britain was turning to Argentina. Yeah. And I'm sure he's listening to the podcast. Uh, all the time, all the I time. no doubt about that. But I think it's important to go to Argentina because what's happening there is really, really depressing. It is also extraordinary that a country that powerful with those many resources, full of immigrants who came as late as the 1980s, 1990s to seek their fortune could have turned into such a downward spiral. And more worrying, the lead runner in the presidential election guy called Javier Mili has said, we'll talk about his economics in a minute with Martin Lestow, but... With the inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he is, his inverted commas, economics, he has said that the reason he is running for president was that his dog died and he got a psychic to talk to the dog. What? And what? the dog communicated with the psychic and told him that God wanted him to run for presidency. <laughs> You're kidding. Hang on. <laughs> So that is actually what we're dealing with. That's what Argentina's dealing with. A fella whose dog died. <laughs> he b- brings a psychic oh, to man. talk to the dead dog. Oh, man. The dead dog communicates with the psychic and says, the way in which... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Exactly. <laughs> is you should run for president. Timmy down the well? <laughs> you should run for president. Why? Because God has anointed it. Oh, my God. So... Oh, my God. So, so he is joining the forces of the lunatics of this world that are taking over the world, the Trumps, Bolsonaro's, the Kims, the Putins, all those people, the Dutertes. All those people. So let's go to Buenos Aires and see just how bad things are doing, how they got themselves into this mess, what are the options, and what does it mean, not just for Argentina, but for the whole continent of Latin America. We're going to talk to Martin Lusto, old friend, and youngest economics minister of Argentina, youngest ambassador of Argentina to the United States, deputy head of the Senate, a man who knows a thing or two about the country. Let's go to BA. 
Now we are going down to Buenos Aires to talk to an old friend, a Kilconomics recidivist. I think Martin will be coming to Kilconomics in a couple of weeks' time for, I think, the 10th yeah. year in a row, maybe even the 11th, Martin, is it? Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's the 10th or the 11th, but you're right. Good to see you again. Yeah, no, it was great to see you. As Martin said, he, it's, Kilkenny is the city in the world that he knows best. He knows it like the back of his hand after many, <laughs> many years. But Martin, let's talk about Argentina because the country is in what can only be described from outside looks like a total and utter mess. You were in the last election three weeks ago. You got 27% of the vote, I believe, for the mayor of Buenos Aires. You were just pipped at the post by the opposition, or by your opposition. You've been involved in politics. You've been the economics minister there. You have been the ambassador to the United States, the Argentinian ambassador to the United States. Have you seen Argentina as bad as it is now? And let's then take it from there and go back to the history and see how did it get to this position. Okay, first you say that uh, from the outside it looks like a mess. From the inside it feels like a mess. Okay. That's a big difference. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it's hard to think of a time back in, at least in my lifetime, where Argentina was in worse shape. Because, for example, when I started studying economics, we were on hyperinflation. So we had two hyperinflations. That's 89 and 90. Then we had uh, the tequila effect that started in Mexico and spread it out throughout uh, Latin America, particularly in Argentina. Then we had like a big depression from 98 till 2001 when we abandoned convertibility. In those years, we had a 20% GDP drop, but wow. still politics was functioning. And nowadays, what's happening is that Argentina is in a big economic mess. And if you want what should be able to put the pieces together and restart, it's becoming dysfunctional, and that's politics. So I think I'm more concerned than in during my adult lifetime. Wow, because I remember when we used to sit and talk, both in Argentina, but a lot of times in Ireland, you know, we would talk about the convertibility crisis when Argentina decided to peg itself to the dollar on a currency board. That was in the 90s. And I thought that was as bad as it was going to get. But now what you're saying is Argentina is as bad now as you've, it's ever been in your adult lifetime. What I want to do is before we look at right now, explain to me how Argentina went from the seventh richest country in the world to where it is now. So what happened to Argentina during the last century and a half? I think it's in Madison's uh, figures, Argentina was the richest country in the world back in 1895 in terms of per capita wow. GDP. With the exception that it was easy to, to become richer and grow back then. Why? Because the only thing that you were doing was conquering land, productive land. And we were so very few. So every time you put more fertile land to work, then per capita GDP increased. It's like being Saudi Arabia and finding new oil. So yeah. for, for quite some time, Argentina grew with that export-led uh, model. So we would produce beef, particularly, and export to the UK. Then uh, the First World War came in, and that model broke. And Argentina, it took a long time for Argentina to find a different model for growing. So we went after the Second World War for import substitution. And that kind of work until the 60s. Why? Because if you take a look at growth figures in the 60s, Argentina was the 18th country in the world in per capita terms. Amazing. What happened is that Argentina grew little or very little or almost nothing in the last 60 years. We have data from about 
poverty and inequality from the 70s. So back in the 74, the first data that we had, Argentina poverty rate was 6%. Now it's above 40%. If you take a look at what happened in the last 60 years or 50 years in 74, Argentina is among the 15 countries that grew the least in the last 50 years. So you have to compare Argentina's performance to the countries that have civil wars and earthquakes and natural disasters. That is the poor performance that we had. So we grew very little. And due to the crisis that we had, we worsened income distribution. So if you grew very little and you worsen income distribution, then you have more poverty. I have an explanation or have a, a theory of why that happened, because there are many theories going around. Go for it. So, you know, that we tend to think that states don't compete with each other because they don't go to war in order to seize resources that they don't have, well, unless, you know, with the exception of Russia. But that world is over. So we tend to think that states don't compete with each other, but they do compete. They do compete because every little bit that you produce has got a bit of the state inside. It's got taxes. And apart from taxes or outside of the coin is that they give you public goods and services. So if your country does that very good, then you're competitive. If your country does that very bad, then you need a higher exchange rate in order to be able to compete. So what happened in Argentina in the last 50 years is that the, the state became worse. Actually, the weight of the state compared to GDP is twice as much as it was 50 years ago. But you know that we tend to look at that compared to GDP. To me, to layman people, it doesn't say anything. So I take a look at what yeah. happened with public expenditure in the last 30 years in real terms per capita. And it grew, it multiplied by 2.5 times. I'm not kidding. I asked tens of thousands of people directly. Do you feel that we have twice the quality of education, twice the quality of health, uh, infrastructure, uh, pension funds that we had before, none ever raised a hand. So what happened is that we became less productive and less productive, the, the public sector, and less productive with a constant fiscal deficit. And in different ways, fiscal deficits appreciate your exchange rate. It means that you have to export something that is it, worse and it's very expensive. So you cannot compete and then you don't grow at all until you have an exchange rate crisis and then you have room for that. But then politics starts degrading the state again because they see room for doing shitty things. And then the cycle starts yeah. again and again and again. So we're trapped in a country that doesn't grow and has crisis, particularly exchange rate crisis every now and then. So then the exchange rate crisis fills into inflation because you're importing lots of stuff, the currency is falling, and then the inflation feeds into the exchange rate crisis because the more inflation you have, the more you have to devalue to be competitive, and it's a sort of a vicious spiral that happens every five or ten years. Yes, and not only that, it's the, the fact that once you repeat that game over and over and over and over again, our heads start to understand it, so you anticipate that. So, for example, whenever you see a devaluation in Argentina or a sharp depreciation, inflation immediately ensues. No matter whether the actual impact of imported good has already taken place or not, because people anticipate that that's going to happen. For example, we had a devaluation, I think it was uh, less than two months ago, 90% of it has already gone to prices. Right, so it passes straight yes. through. Because, straight, because straight we through. got used to that game. 
So immediately we try to anticipate that or adjust to that. So now, now what's happening, for example, sometimes governments, what they try to do when they see that is that they put capital controls. So you have two different kinds of dollars, the dollars for importing and the dollar that you can get, yeah, you can buy. And people immediately see that they cannot buy dollars and they see, okay, this is going up and we'll enter capital controls and with capital controls, we'll lose eventually more reserves. And then whenever I want to buy or import a good, they won't give me the dollars to import that. So I anticipate that and I, I start either selling the stuff that I already have, my inventory at a higher price, or I don't sell it at all. And both things lead to inflation. And that's why we have the inflation that we're having now. The last figure that we had for inflation the last month was 12% monthly. Per month? Yes, monthly. Yes. So, Martin, we're talking about 50 years of underperformance, 50 years of perennial crises, people now expecting the crises. So not only expecting the crises, so actually acting ahead of any incipient crisis, which brings us to kind of how do you fix this? At the moment, the front runner, and I want to ask you about this Javier Millet guy, because he's more or less the same age as you. You've both been deputies in the parliament together. You must know the guy. He's lived through exactly the same economic reality as you have over many, many years. His solution is to dollarize the economy. Explain that to me, number one. And to what he said, take a chainsaw to the state. Explain that to me, number two. What will that do to Argentina if he gets elected? Okay, first, now you're, you're just getting to the point of why I'm so worried. Because before, there was kind of a conversation of why we were doing so poorly. And politics was aware of that fact that could at least rescue itself. You know, say, this is going down the toilet, so how can we fix it? Now, that system is broke. And it's broke in the same way that it's been broke, but less visible in different parts of the world. So imagine we've seen that with Trump or Boris Johnson or Castillo or many different places in which people get frustrated. So in the developed world, they get frustrated because of the hollowing of the middle class, because we had the... 2008 financial crisis, because China has been taking away their jobs. Well, imagine if instead of those prices being visible once in a lifetime, they're recurrent. So your frustration and your anger is a lot more acute and it's been accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And now since the system allows for more competition, it's easier to get an outsider to become a, a relevant figure in politics then lots of these figures are emerging in different parts of the world. And Millet is the Argentinian version. Our Argentinian version is a lot more cartoonist. So what is he proposing? First, he's saying, in the same way as Trump, like drain the swamp, do away with politicians. He's a politician. <laughs> he's saying that. The second thing he says is, what's the best way to do away with politicians is to shut down the central bank. Because the central bank is how they are robbing standard normal people. Because they spend a lot, and whenever they spend a lot and they don't know what to do, they just print money. So just put a bomb in the central okay. bank and finish the central bank. And then he wants to dollarize at the same time, which is kind of, it's, it's difficult to explain to people, but in a, in a political debate. First, dollarization means we will replace every single peso that we have with dollars. 
Yeah. Yes. We need lots of dollars for that. And actually, we have negative reserves right now. So you have no dollars. We have a negative amount of dollars in our reserves. So okay. we're, we've been borrowing from China, from the IMF. So the first thing is, in order to dollarize, you need dollars. Yeah. So where are you going to get them? Well, that's the question that he needs to be asked. The second thing is that if you shut down the central bank, and that's even more, if you dollarize, you need more dollars than before. Because... You don't not only need dollar bills you know, for transactions, but you also need dollars to back deposits that will be in dollars. So the banks will create dollar-denominated deposits. I need someone to back up those deposits just in case you have a ransom. So you need more dollars than ever before. So I don't know where he's proposing yes. to get them. Yeah? The thing is that given the 40% poverty rate in Argentina, given the poor performance of education, some people think that they will get, suppose that you earn 100,000 pesos as a salary. Some yep. people think that they'll get $100,000 as a salary. I'm not kidding. So they're voting for him. Wow. So they think that money is going to fall out of the yes. sky. Yes. The second thing is that people are so angry that some people vote for him because of those reasons. Some other people vote for him because he's a libertarian and there is a upper class in Argentina that ascribes to that. And some other people vote for him because their feeling is that, okay, maybe Millet is going to be a disaster, but this time it's going to be a disaster for everyone, not only for me. Ah, interesting. So that's the level of anger. So this is the sort of, you just put a bomb under the whole yes. thing, just burn the house down, burn the whole house down. So Millet has been saying lots of things during his campaign, but he's been saying things that should be outrageous and people are so angry that they don't care. For example, he says he's in favor of buying and selling organs. Yeah, your liver. Yes. Wow. He says it was... A, wow. Your liver, your kidney, yeah. everything. Yes. There was a time in which he said that he was not against child labor because <laughs> if, you're, if you're a father and you want to send your child to work, then you should be allowed to. <laughs> he said lots of this stuff. So it's mad stuff. Yes, he's in favor of free owning and, uh, you know, like in the U.S., guns. So everyone... And the thing about Argentina is that it always felt to me like a peaceful city, even Buenos Aires parts were peaceful. So he's saying everyone should have guns now. Yeah, and the other thing that he said during the interview with the economists, he was asked whether he was in favor of legalizing drugs. And he said, no, I'm not in favor of that because whenever you consume drugs and then you need health services, we are all paying for that. But when we do away with public education and public health, then you will be able to consume drugs as you will. Oh, my God. Uh, so he's, he's taken libertarianism. He's taken populism. He's taken sort of online deep hole conspiracyism. He's fueled them all together and he's created a movement. Yes. And the movement is born of frustration. Yes. Totally. And the frustration is obvious because we've just done the last 50 years of stop, start, stop, start, no growth, no growth. And Argentinians are sick of being the world's, not the world's, but they're sick of being paupers. Yes. So the frustration is real. The causes are real. It's just that the manifestation or the, how that frustration is being channeled, it's going to lead nowhere. Because, of course, you know, I know that everything that he says, he won't be able to carry it out. So yeah. then we'll see what happens. And then since he's only talking about those, those things, he doesn't have a team that has been analyzing, okay, I promise all this, but my alternative plan is this. This is what I'll do when I reach presidency. 
And he doesn't have a team that's been thinking properly about those issues. So what happens if he wins? He gets into the Casa Rosa, I think it's called. Yes, pink house. He realizes he's got no dollars. He has to go to China to get the dollars. No, maybe. He, won't to, he won't go to China. He says that he won't deal with any communist country in the world. That includes China and Brazil. And Brazil as well. Our two main partners. Exactly, partners, exactly. Yeah. Explain me one thing, Martin. People are watching the Rugby World Cup at the moment. They're watching what look like very wealthy Argentinians traveling around France, drinking wine, etc. There still must be a middle class there. I mean, is this a cause of resentment as well? Yes, as I mentioned, what you see in Argentina during you know, the whole lot of the crisis is that we became poorer. Every single bit that the government should provide for you became worse. Education, infrastructure, health, security. But there are certain people that are always isolated from those effects, particularly wealthy people and politicians. Yeah, That's how people are perceiving that. Well, these some politicians, and they, we're right to be angry because the country has been deeply un- underperforming for 50 years. I cannot recall the exact figure, but if you take a look at the per capita growth for the last 50 years, it should take Argentina something like 264 years to double its per capita GDP. Wow. Yes. Wow. Wow. So, of course, there are reasons for being angry and frustrated and wanted everything to blow out. But the, the thing is that the solution or what we're finding in order to challenge frustration, it's, it's something that is going to lead to more frustration. And that's why I'm so worried, because it's like the this political system has gone broke. It doesn't know how to yeah. fix this, because the accumulation and isolation from trying to understand properly what's been happening to Argentina in the last 50 years, each sector seeking its own political stance, but without any concern to how to actually solve what's been happening in Argentina for half a century. And then how democracies work today with the quality of our political debate and the fact that uh, social media has totally changed the landscape and we have many people competing for your attention. And in order to grasp the attention, you need to say outrageous things. I need to appeal to emotion, provide with false diagnosis and then false solutions. And in some countries where institutions were better and had not been eroded as time went by, you had some counterbalances to that. And the amount of damage that can be produced, it's restricted. In Argentina, it's like, okay, we're opening the gates and we don't know what's going to happen with this. So we might guess, okay, people will use their frustration and signal that this is over and this cannot go on like this by appointing Millet. That has, right now, a very high probability of happening. The issue is, or the the big question is, and what will happen if Millet doesn't provide what we are expecting or what people are expecting? So what's the next step? Some people will say, okay, we'll all come back to our senses, we'll become uh, sensible again, and we'll build a coalition in the middle of the political landscape that We'll understand what happened and we'll act uh, accordingly. Well, it it hasn't been happening before. Are we sure that this is a waking up call that uh, politics will use? Or or we will start in a high instability 
cycle in which after Millet will come some other outsider that will say just, just the opposite. We need a big state. We don't know. We don't know. And we are but a month away from the election. But I mean, that's the thing. I mean, this is this is this is the stuff of some sort of dystopian political fiction, except it's actually the reality. Yes. Yes. So just before you go, Martin, I'll see you in, in Kilconomics. By the way, Martin is going to be doing a number of Kilconomics sessions, one of which is going to be on what happens to Argentina. Can I just ask you, if Argentina goes down this vortex and the probability is very high, what are the implications for the rest of Latin America? Because, you know, Argentina after Brazil is by far and away the biggest country, the most geostrategically important country, the country that, you know, sets the tone for a lot of Latin American politics and economics, etc. What happens to Latin America if Argentina goes this Well, this way? has been happening to Latin America with Bolsonaro and with Castillo. So we've been having this. They still have a backup. For example, Boric started after, you know, the students' protest and everything. So he was able to seize the left-wing... This is in Chile. In Chile. This is in Chile. So the, the left-wing coalition. Yeah. But after his first missteps... He came back to, you know, the, the old figures of the Chile Concertación and he was able to steer the vote. In Argentina, he's a completely out of the blue. He has no backup, no, no, no coalition. No, so we don't know what's going to happen. But we've been seeing this happening in different parts of the world in Latin America already. What is a consequence for Latin America and for Argentina in particular is that Latin America, whenever we talk about foreign policy, in Latin America, there are certain trends that are completely different from the rest of the world. The first is like we have these recurrent and very deep problems. Foreign policy is less restricted by public opinion. So we're not very much concerned about what's our foreign policy. So that implies that foreign policy is a lot more volatile and we have more dogmatic approaches to foreign policy. And when you're more dogmatic and less restricted by public opinion, then the, the convoy is very weird. So you go from, I don't know, Argentina is a, a G20 country. Apparently. It's a, but because back in the 90s with convertibility and the one-to-one currency board, our per capita GDP was a lot higher. That's why we enter the G20. Yeah. Then we are, during the 90s, Menem signed, uh, and we are an extra NATO uh, ally. Yeah, I didn't know yes. that. I didn't and know now that. we have an invitation to join the BRICS starting in yes. the 1st of January next year. So we have these big swings in foreign policy. And big swings in foreign policy of a country that is a regional actor. We're not, we're not a global actor, clearly, but we're a regional actor, tend to affect the rest of the countries in the region. That is something that sometimes I think the U.S. doesn't understand. I've been having this argument or this discussion with State Departments several times in the U.S. And you, I mean, you were the ambassador. Yes. You were the Argentinian ambassador to that, America. For example, they, they don't want China to enter the region. Yes. But China, when you're in a crisis, China steps in and comes with a turnkey solution. It's global. It's, it's yeah. everything that you need put together. When you go to the U.S., they say, okay, you need to talk to the State Department and then Commerce, and then you need to go to Senate and you, to the House and then talk to the you know National Security Council. And it's a it's endless and you need to put different pieces together and it takes a lot of time. So you never arrive on time. Then the Chinese come in and they, whenever you have a crisis, whether it's Venezuela or whether it's Argentina or, or Bolivia, they step in. 
And it's, it's really, it's true. Obama told me uh, you should read the fine print, the small print. And I, I reply, well, I don't have time for that. <laughs> and this is something that... Yeah, you've got a crisis. You've got to get it fixed. Yes. You've got to fix it today. Yes. And that's what uh, any politician, any president would do. Okay, I'm, I'm about to run out of reserves. So I'll go and sign a swap with China, with the central bank. So I get the money. And then the Chinese say, oh, I, I want a base, a base for observing space in Neuquén, in the Patagonia. And we give it to them. And this is what concerns yeah, now. It's a 5G thing. But this is the thing that the, the U.S. is, it doesn't act in anticipation of this. So sometimes they let countries go little by little into a crisis and then they get concerned. And I think that they are realizing that this is a lot more dangerous than before because after the end of the Cold War, after 1989 and the fall of the Berlin Wall, they didn't have any actor that was able to mobilize globally. And now they, now have, they have. Now they have a serious opposition. So this is a problem. In you were talking, what happens in in Latin in if Argentina goes these routes and then it affects other countries? Well, you could see big swings in short amount of time of foreign policy. And China stands to benefit. Yeah, for example, Millet says that he won't, since he's an Austrian anti-communist, <laughs> he won't even talk to China. This is. If Argentinians wants to export to China, that's their issue. I won't even talk to China. So, okay, now we'll go the other way. And I think that there, there are sectors in the U.S. that doesn't understand the complexity of this, that they might be happy because they say, oh, maybe we get the 5G business in the short term for, uh, you know, China doesn't enter Argentina. But in the medium term, then Millet might lead to a big crisis and then the pendulum will sink the other the other way. Yeah. And this is something that I think that foreign policy in Argentina is never discussed in a proper environment or with a medium and long-term view. It's always something that is improvised and opportunistic. And it doesn't lead anywhere. For example, now many people are outraged by the invitation to join the BRICS. Yeah. I think it's, a, it's not an appropriate time to join the BRICS. Because of China and the U.S. clash, because of Russia, but for example, China's our biggest destination for our exports. India is the fifth. So Brazil is our main partner. So it's like you take a look and say, well, it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense be just because you're angry with the U.S. in the short term. Maybe it doesn't make sense yeah, no, now. But Argentina needs to take it's foreign policy more serious and in more in a more stable way and i think that this is something that with these governments that are a lot more dogmatic that they come out of the blue that they are populist that emerge from nowhere you may have short term swings of the pendulum that are very dangerous martin we will leave it there we will see you in kilkenny in a couple of weeks do. time and as always this is a tour de force economics history politics despotism, and then finance and foreign affairs. A wonderful chat, Martin. Always an absolute pleasure. And we will see you in a couple of weeks' time. We'll, we'll see you there. You know that Kilkinomics is uh, my favorite event in the world. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Well, I'm sure we'll pick up on this in Kilconomics, but with Martine, yeah, with Martine. But there is very little to add to that. No, I it's, mean it's 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 a disaster for an amazingly beautiful country, gorgeous people. It's 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 a complete and utter catastrophe. And do you think then that there is a chance of contagion throughout? Oh yeah, not not South just America? that. Well, it, it comes back to it. Actually, comes back to what I'm going to be talking to Naomi Klein about tomorrow night in the RDS, which is this idea that, so her idea is a doppelganger. So it's like a parallel universe and that you've got information and then misinformation. And then you have everything the center says, the extreme right takes, and it's not even right, it's a populist right. It's sort of a, it's this bizarre sort of creature that we're talking about because people are frustrated all the time. And so what you have is you've got a, a sort of a, a blamange of what's right and what's not right, what's true and what's not true, what's possible, as Martin's told me, mm. and what's not possible. Yeah. So you're selling people nonsense, the sort of stuff Trump said, you know, we're going to build a wall. They never built a wall. Yeah. We're going to drain the swamp. They never drained the swamp. We're going to stand up for the people he enriched billionaires. Like, think about it. Boris Johnson, the same sort of idea. We're going to take yeah. back control. No, you didn't. We're going to have the best deal ever. No, you didn't. We're going to have an oven-ready Brexit. <laughs> no, you didn't. You'd have still birthed Brexit, right? Yeah. And it's this weird intersection where politics meets economics, meets like psychics, as we talk at the top. Yes. No, really. Uh, dogs, yeah. Meets an unfettered, kind of crazy, splintered media all speaking to people who are deeply frustrated and angry. And it's happening all over the world. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 